What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick along with Kevin Haswell coming at you on a Thursday morning, or I guess it's afternoon now, um, with some wild NBA storylines coming at you. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's a great time of year. We got the Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs. You know, baseball is getting in full swing. I think this is kind of a honeymoon period for baseball season. Uh, fans that you know aren't in it for you know the whole season, you know, really like baseball nowadays. Um, you know, it's being seen. It's a very exciting time. Uh, so you know, a lot, of, a lot of great sports to talk about, and I'm excited. Let's jump into the show. Yeah, we're gonna go through a bit of a speed uh, show today. We got 15 topics we want to talk about across three different sports. We're gonna talk five minutes or so on each one, um, but try and limit it to that. So we're not gonna get super, super in depth as we have before. But I uh, want to talk about a few major things here. We're gonna start over in the NBA, uh, where the Spurs are down two to nothing to. The Warriors, and after losing Greg Popovich for at least Game 3 due to the death of his wife, uh, the future for them this season does not look good. Kevin, what are your thoughts on the Spurs? Are they done for good? You know, honestly, if they had Kawhi Leonard, they still might not win this series. Um, That's how far I'll go with it. You know, without Popovich, they have no shot. Uh, And I think, you know, coming in, I mean, we talked about this last week, uh, you know, the same time last week on this episode, and... We all predicted they'd get swept, um, and, and right now it looks like they're going to get swept again. I mean, it's an awful tragedy what happened to you know Pavlovich, uh, Pavlovich's wife, and you know the NBA is a community. I know me and Matt were talking about this before the show. All these players, um, you know, come out in support of Greg Pavlovich. He's a, you know he's a great human being, um, and you know they all the NBA is basically a fraternity. So it, you know it's a really sad story, um, and you know prayers for him. But you know the Spurs are, are done. Um, I I don't see them winning a game in this series. I see the rest, the next two games, uh, you know, Warriors winning by double digits and, and moving on to the next round, which is a shame because you know they have the best coach in the NBA, uh, arguably, and then uh, you know a top five player in the NBA, and they should you know be able to compete every year. But you know they're now without uh, their coach and their top five players, so it's going to be difficult to win this series. And you know, I think it's the Warriors move on in four. Yeah, and I mean, this is all without Steph Curry uh, leading the way for the Warriors here, you know, having to kind of fill in with a point guard. They haven't really had a point guard, um, you know, who's played uh, consistent minutes for them uh, as far as the starting five goes. Um, but they they look just fine. I mean, you know, this is a team that is able to flip that switch when they get to the playoffs. Um, you know, we saw them kind of tire out when they had the massive 93-win uh, regular season campaign. Um, you know, they tired out at the end because they're working so hard during the regular season. It almost seems as if they've just been more laid back this year, you know, awaiting the, the playoffs to come around, kind of like LeBron has been in the past um, multiple times. Uh, so as long as they get Steph for, for the next series, um, you know, they should be okay. But this does definitely look like they're going to be cruising to a, a 4-0 lead pretty soon. Although, you know, they are going back to San Antonio now for two games. So the Spurs may be able to steal one away on their home court, but uh, you know, this is this is certainly an uphill battle, to say the least. Yeah, you know, it's a really unfortunate situation at a really unfortunate time. I mean, I don't think you can really come up with a, a worse time during uh, uh, during the year for something tragic to happen to Greg Popovich and his family. I mean, they're in the midst of a playoff run right here, and, uh, you know, they're, he's going to have to step away from the game. I know he doesn't want to do that, but he also you know, is going through a tough time right now. So uh, it would have been, you know, while it's a tragic event, it might have been... Would have been a lot better if it happened in the offseason, uh, gave them time to you know, recoup and then come back stronger to head coach. But right, right now, I mean, it's tough, and the Spurs need him right now. And 
Yeah, all, all respect to him. Uh, I don't expect him to be out there coaching, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, um, Aaron Popovich, uh, his wife, died at the age of 67 and had been battling uh, an illness for a long time. Uh, they have been married for 40 years, have two kids and two grandchildren. Um, but, you know, you're hearing stuff from across the league, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Kevin Durant, uh, talking about just, you know, what a great person she was um, and, and how important, you know, Popovich is to them. Because uh, even though, you know, they've never played for him, he his influence across the league uh, is is obvious. I mean, you know, from the statements he makes, uh, defending players consistently to just his overall basketball smarts. I mean, he's a he's a very strong and uh, smart person, and you know, anyone that gets the chance to know him is certainly lucky. So, uh, you know, Itora Messina. I really hope I'm saying that. Uh, we'll be filling in for Popovich against the Warriors in Game Three. Um, but yeah, this is, this is not looking good for them in terms of the basketball side of things. Danny Green didn't even score a single point last night, finished with a, or two nights ago, finished with a minus 26 plus minus, uh, you know, horrible game for him, went 0 for 3 from behind the arc. Uh, you know, they're definitely going to need to be able to match up with, with Golden State's three point barrage, uh, that it can turn on at any time if they're going to keep up. And if Danny Green is having an off night there, I don't really see any chance of them coming away with a win in game three. Yeah. I mean, and. It's unfortunate. Um, you know, they're, they're not playing well. I mean, you talked about with Danny Green. A lot of these players aren't playing well right now. They really need the guy to be one of the best coaches in basketball. They don't have it. Um, you know, it's, it's sad because, um, you know, you see all these NBA players, how much – well, I guess this part's not sad. It, it, it's great to see all the NBA community come together um, in remembrance of Aaron Popovich. And, you know, they all have support for Greg because of his, you know, work with USA Basketball. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, um, all of those players have respect for him as a coach. Um, but it's unfortunate, but you know, I think it, it seals the deal for the Spurs uh, on the 2018 season. I couldn't agree more. Now, over uh, in the Eastern Conference, Jola Embiid is listed as doubtful for Game 3 uh, between the Warriors and the uh, so, wow, 76ers and the Heat. Uh, Philly, however, dominated 56-32 in the paint without him and won, actually won the rebounding margin, 57-54. However, did lose um, to the Heat in that game, too, to bring the series to a 1-1 to -one tie. Kevin, are you worried about the 76ers at all in this Game 3 matchup? I'm not worried, honestly. Uh, I mean, if you watch them playing Game 1, uh, you know, they were on fire from, from you know every inch of the court. And, you know, I didn't expect them to come out in Game 2 and have the same game. I mean, it's not every day you can get, you know, 25-plus points from Marco Bellinelli and J.J. Redick. Um, you know, I think that this game will be close, um, but at the end of the day, I, I think the Sixers are the, the more talented team on the floor, even without Joel Embiid. Um, you know, Hassan Whiteside hasn't been, you know, amazing in this series, and, you know, that's where the Heat can exploit the Sixers. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like the Sixers will probably win this game, or series in six games. I'm not too worried. Uh, if I, I was them, I would hold out Joel Embiid until the next round because... Uh, it's very important. I mean, there was a report out today that said uh, if you would be elbowed in the face, you'd suffer. Right now, you'd be uh, you'd suffer permanent uh, face damage, and uh, that'd be you know, tragic uh, for you know his career moving forward and in his know, life, just in general. Yeah, his life in general. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's awful. Uh, but you know, I, I still think the Sixers win this series, and they win it before seven games. Yeah, I think the big surprise here: Dwayne Wade uh, coming off the bench, scoring twenty-eight points. To in addition to seven rebounds and three assists, a kind of a vintage Dwayne Wade performance. 
um, only playing 26 minutes, so you know, still was uh, playing against maybe some some lesser competition in terms of the bench uh, for a majority of the game. But uh, you know, he looked good out there. Uh, was was not really shooting any threes. Kind of just going into the lane, uh, went to the free throw line a few times. Um, but you know, that's just kind of his game now. Uh, a lot of uh, floaters and, and driving uh, around. And you know, you gotta like to see it. This is a legend in the making, and. Um, we've seen so many vintage moments out of him and, and for you know, him to bring this playoff performance back, you know, even, even though you're rooting for the Sixers and want him to win, I think it was nice to see the Heat get a win here, uh, because I do think they've had a good season. You know, Goran, Goran Dragic does not get enough credit for what he's been able to do with this offense. Uh, he's really been the heart and soul of it, uh, and, and kind of the face of this team, even with guys like Whiteside and, and Wade on this team. I think that Goran Dragic is the future. Goran Dragic is the present. Uh, and, you know, for the Heat to get a win, I think it's a it's a pretty good story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it goes back to the whole thing I was talking about with Marco Bellinelli and, you know, Gigi Redick. You know, you get 25-plus out of both of them in game one. You can't expect that every night. You know, it's the same way with Dwayne Wade and the way, you know, the point in career, uh, point of his career he is at. I, you know, you can't expect him to take over games like he, like he did in game two. But, uh, you know... He's still a threat out there scoring-wise, just not, you know, the you know, 25-plus points that he put up against uh, the Sixers in, in Game 2. He's not bad anymore. I don't expect um, him to do that again. But, you know, he's still a threat out there. And, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, I, I'm a huge Sixers fan, so it was awful uh, to see them lose that game. But if anyone's going to beat it, it's going to be Wade. I mean, Tito's you know, such a great competitor. He's had such a great career. Um, going back, I've always been a huge LeBron James fan. Um, just as a basketball fan, you know, what he's been able to do on the floor. And, you know, he and Dwayne Wade were together in Miami. The things that they put together were terrific. So to see, you know, D-Wade uh, on the road in Philly uh, put on a performance like that and kind of turn back the clock was, was you know, it wasn't great to see. I mean, they lost. <laughs> Not for you. lost, but, you know, it, it was pretty a pretty cool environment. I think it's pretty hard not to love Dwayne Wade. Um, you know, he doesn't get the kind of um, – evil, uh, the Darth Vader kind of look that LeBron has, despite having been on that Heat team. But because throughout his whole career, he stayed with the whole, you know, with the same team. Mm-hmm. You know, he tried his hardest to stay with the Heat his whole career. Um, they just wouldn't give him the money. That's why he went to the Bulls and ended up with the Cavs for half a season. But, you know, at the end of the day, he made a conscious effort to stay in Miami his whole career. Um, and, you know, it's not his fault that Chris Bosh and LeBron wanted to come play with him. I mean, yeah. All the blame's got to be on Chris Bosh and LeBron. I mean, they formed those three. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, LeBron was the guy that sealed the deal there, and, and he gets that rap, of course. Um, but, you know, he went over to the Cavs afterward, not having uh, maybe as, as dominant a core, that lo- at least how it looked, um, as, as when he went over to the Heat. So, uh, yeah, you know, Dwayne Wade, great guy, and um, looking forward to see if we can see any more uh, performances like that for the rest of the series. Now, the Pelicans and Trailblazers is the other series I want to touch on here. Pelicans are out to a surprising 2-0 lead, despite the Blazers being the number three seed in the West. Uh, and both wins came on Portland's home court. Kevin, do you think the Blazers, you know, what are they doing wrong here? Yeah, I think it's Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They're not doing enough. I mean, those guys are the catalyst of that offense. Uh, we talked about in game one, they shot about uh, 30% from the field. Not great. Uh, you know, I, I think moving forward, they need to get the ball in their hands more. Uh, when you have, you know, you look at any of these playoff teams, the way LeBron, the way the Cavs relied on LeBron to score the basketball last night uh, to get that win over the Pacers, you know, you need your top scorers to have big performances in the playoffs. And Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum just aren't doing that right now. 
Lillard went one for seven from three exactly. in that last game. More production out of those guys. Um, you know, losing four, I mean, it's not an easy matchup for them, and they're going to need their scores to um, you know put up more points. I mean, you look back in playoff history, and every championship team has you know two go-to scores. You look at the Warriors last year; you get Durant and Steph. You go back to like the '96 Bulls; you got Pippen and Jordan. You go to the Miami Heat; um, you got LeBron and D Wade. Uh, I mean, you just go team after team. You go to the Mavericks; you got Jason Terry and Dirk. I mean, both of those guys were terrific at that time. I mean, every team you go to, you have go-to scores that were consistently putting up big numbers in the playoffs. I mean, uh, they're not going to win this series if those two guys don't play together. I mean, they're going to be just like the Toronto Raptors, where they're you know both their go-to scores struggle. At the end of the day, they don't, they don't move on, um, and it's it's a shame because they're a really surprising team this year. You know, giving up the three seed to the Western Conference, but you know what? I mean, I've said it all. They just they need more scoring out of those two guys. Now the Pelicans have two consistent scorers, and Anthony Davis is the the suspect you would have come to probably expect to be in that conversation, having scored thirty five points in the first game, twenty two in the second. But uh, the other one's Drew Holiday, uh, who came out after. Fairly impressive first game uh, in which he scored 21 points and seven rebounds, two assists, um, and a steal, but then came back to score 33 uh, to lead the team in this game and uh, really just kind of took off uh, offensively, uh, shot 58% uh, from the field, hit a couple of threes, um, was moving the ball around with nine assists. So uh, Drew Holiday is helping make things happen on this offense, and Rond- Rajon Rondo is, is, is contributing as well. They kind of have that two-point guard setup where it's a lot of passing going on. The team... Uh, has a lot of assists typically uh, in their games and uh, beat the Blazers in this category 25 to 20. So uh, just an all all around, you know, impressive win, especially for the backcourt. You know, I think that we've talked about this before, but with Rondo and Holiday together, it's one of those backcourt duos you weren't really talking about coming into the series, but they've played really well. Um, and for them to play well with Anthony Davis playing, you know, the way Anthony Davis does and has been this season, um, you know, the Pelicans look like a scary team. And, you know, outside, a lot, a lot of team people are talking about a team outside of the Rockets or the Warriors winning the West. Um, and, you know, it's obviously still a long shot for the Pelicans to go far. But, you know, they win this game. Uh, they're going to have to go up against the Warriors um, in that next matchup. So uh, we're going to have a, a true test for them after, if they can get through this series of whether or not they belong in this conversation. Um, and so I'm going to hold any hot takes on the Pelicans for now. But, uh, you know, you got to like what they're doing moving forward. The last time Matt had a hot take on the Pelicans, it cost him $10. So. It did, but it, I came down to a tiebreaker, all right? That was that was pretty close. And, I mean, they missed DeMarcus Cousins, too. Yes. You know. They would have had it. You can't guarantee that there would have been the three or the four or the five or whatever. You can't guarantee that um, because, you know, the Trailblazers are playing really well down the stretch. The Jazz are playing really well down the stretch. I mean, there's a lot of good teams. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they were, you know, heads, you know, Leaps and bounds better than those teams, especially because they wouldn't have made the trade for Nikola Mirotic, mm-hmm. um, which you know Mirotic has been awesome for them he's, too. He's been good down the stretch for them. So, uh, you know, going back, I mean, I think the Pelicans win this series the way uh, you know that duo and the Trailblazers is playing, uh, but I don't see the Pelicans moving past the Warriors. I think you know it'll be a five-game series, um, you know, very similar to second-round matchups the Warriors had in the past, uh, where maybe they let up one game, but. I don't, I don't see the Pelicans advancing past uh, the next round. Yep, we will see. They do play tonight at 9 o'clock um, with the game now and moving over to New Orleans. So we'll have the chance to see uh, if the 
Blazers can respond uh, on the road. They were actually one game over 500 on the road this season. So, um, you know, at least they have that going for them. But we will see. Uh, it's definitely a fun storyline to watch. That's going to do it for our NBA portion of the podcast. Don't forget to follow our NBA Twitter at Pure Sports NBA uh, for all the latest updates going on across the league. Now we're going to go look over at baseball before coming back around to hockey. Um, a couple of things, big news happening across Major League Baseball. Biggest one right now, however, is the Reds have just fired manager Brian Price after a 3-15 and start to the season. Uh, the team was hoping to you know, not be good this year, but to see its pitching staff uh, start to come around a little bit. They have a lot of young arms that they were hoping can be developed into a few potential aces down the line. And right now the team leads, has the worst ERA uh, in all of baseball. So they saw it, it was time to cut the deal with Price, um, you know, with such a bad record and, and over, a poor record over the past few seasons. Uh, does this come as any surprise to you, Kevin? No, you know, I, I think when you do this overhaul, you do these rebuilds, um, you need a new face leading the team. And I think getting rid of Brian Price was the right move. Um, you know, they start off the season 3-15, uh, last place in the NL Central, which, you know, is, is expected. I think you need to win more than three out of 18 games. Uh, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, so competitive that, you know, even a 60% win percentage is insane. Um, so the fact that, you know, they've only won three out of 18 games is kind of miserable, um, especially when their staggering win theorem only gives them uh, a record of 4-14. and um, you know, they're minus 46 run differential this year, and it's, it's not great. Uh, you know, they have had some injuries with Eugenio um, Suarez going down, um, Shevler on the DL, uh, Devin Mezzarocco is on the DL, uh, Michael Lorenzen, Anthony Scalhaney, and Rookie Davis. I mean, I, the list is long, um, especially, you know, I, I think they have the most injuries in baseball at this point early in the season, but you got to win more than three, three out of 18 games. Um, and I don't know if it's the right um, choice to make that decision now, only you know, 18 games into the season, um, but it was definitely something they would have to move or change moving forward, and you know, I guess there's no better time than now. The last time the Reds won 90 or more games was back when Dusty Baker was managing them back in 2013, and Price has been the manager ever since. And, you know, you kind of have to wonder how Price was able to get such long a leash. I mean, he's this is his fifth season with the team now. So, uh, you know, just over 300 total games, or no, that's not the right number, just over um, 300, yeah, 300, uh, 666 games in his career. Wow, that's an awkward number to finish, but um, 666 games had a 417 winning percentage. Um, but you, you look at that 2014 team. Now, the Reds are coming off of a third place finish in a very tough National League uh, Central. They did make the playoffs, lost in that wild card game. Um, and then come into 2014, new manager, Brian Price, you know, looking to, to make a statement here. And they have a really good team put together. Uh, you know, on offense, they've still got guys like Zach Cozart, uh, Todd Frazier, Joey Votto, Devin Mesoraco had a good season. Um, you know, Brandon Phillips was still on that club. They had a, and, and Billy Hamilton was only 23 coming into his own. And Jay Bruce. Um, so, you know, a lot of very good offensive guys. Uh, their rotation, highlighted by Johnny Cueto, Mike Leake. Uh, they had signed Matt Latos to, uh, to a deal, Homer Bailey, um, you know, not a bad, uh, Alfredo Simon, not a bad rotation there. Aroldis Chapman was their closer. I mean, up and down this ro roster, Jonathan Broxton, who was a closer after that, um, you know, this was a pretty good roster. They finished with 76 wins. Uh, and, and, and it kind of goes downhill from there where it prompts a rebuild. Joey Votto sticks on the team, but everybody else seems to be shipped out the door. You know, Aroldis Chapman was traded in a big deal. 
Um, you had Jay Bruce traded, Todd Frazier traded. I mean, all of these big names, and they do have some young guys that they are feeling good about. They are th they think that you know they're going to be looking good down the line. They have a uh, some young hitters that uh, are hoping can learn under Joey Votto's watch. Uh, some young pitchers that you know really can throw some gas, but. With the start they had, I'm really not surprised that Price was gone. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they stuck out, stuck with him after cons three consecutive seasons of under 70 wins. Um, you know, even with the roster that they had, uh, you know, for to finish fifth place in the division for three straight years, I think that's pretty telling that you're not, not having the right manager uh, at the helm. So it's about time, and um, I'm interested to see if they hire anybody midseason or if, you know, they moving forward are just going to stick with uh, – um, their bench coach, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Yeah, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, they have had some you know, so far seasons in the past. Well, but when's the last time they had a you know a great roster? I mean, That's what I'm saying. 2014 ago. was yeah, one. Exactly. But he didn't do. They won 76 games that year. I mean, they had a very one, good and roster. One, and that's one season. You know, to blame a coach over one season is tough. I mean, uh, after that, I mean, they really started ship, shipping players out. Really. They're getting their money's worth for a rebuild, um, and then after that, I mean, you can't. But they still had Chapman the next season. They still had Cueto and Leak and Desclafani on the team. They still had Todd Frazier, Joey Votto, Brennan Phillips, Billy Hamilton. I mean, this is when you know they started to trade everybody. Um, and it, Zach Cozart was still on that club. I I don't know. It's, to me, Price had a pretty decent roster and just wasn't getting wins out of it. Um, and whether that's his managerial side or his, uh, you know injury side, whatever you want to say it is, you know, he's not getting it done. And then it's a business, baseball's a business. And for them to go this long, having lost this many games, you know, they didn't start the rebuild until midway through the 2015 season. I mean, you know, after that, maybe you can say, uh, okay, yeah, I get it. They're, they're, they're rebuilding. But 2014 and 2015, they were going for it. They were going for it hard. And, uh, you know, at least for the first half of 2015, uh, so I, I can't give Price a lot of credit here just, just because, you know, they had at least two years, three years, if they hadn't traded everybody, I think of, you know, being able to contend with the roster that they had, they probably would have added maybe a piece or two there if they had still been competitive, but they weren't. And, you know, we have these results. So uh, per, to me, uh, I'm not too sympathetic to Price in terms of his results. Yeah. I mean, I understand there's, there's two sides. I'm not really, I, I agree with you to some, some extent. But, you know, just going back and, and looking um, at his past, it's hard to keep him in the position he was in. But you also have to take into account, you know, they were in a rebuild. Um, so, you know, he's not having, he's not putting as much talent out there. Uh, majority of those years, you know, there were years where they had talent on the roster. But still, um, you know, I, I think the, the Reds made the right decision at the end of that. You know, you got a, at the start of a rebuild, or they're not at the start of the rebuild, but, you know, during a rebuild, you change managers you saw with the Phillies last year uh, you know parting ways with Keith Cannon uh, to go get Gabe Kapler and uh, you know it's a good decision because he went on uh, 10-7 this year so you know the managerial change can change the culture in the clubhouse and you know, they, I think the Reds are hoping that Yep. In other news, however, we do have Jose Bautista signing with the Atlanta Braves on a minor league deal. He went all of the offseason unsigned after uh, parting ways with the Blue Jays after following a one-year deal last season, um, but hit just 203 last year. Uh, he's 37 years old, so it wasn't surprising that he wasn't finding much work. Um, but he is now actually signed to play third base, and the Braves' third base in, uh, 
troubles have been well documented. They haven't been able to find a guy to lock down that position. They actually had Freddie Freeman play over there for a little bit last year because Matt Adams was playing well enough in Freeman's absence during an injury that they wanted to keep Adams bat in the lineup and had a, such a hole at third base. They decided to move their franchise cornerstone over, uh, which you know is something you never really want to do, having to move your your franchise player out of its his you know comfortable position, but. They did it, and, and you know it shows that they're really struggling to fill in that third base spot, so they're hoping that Bautista can uh, re pull back uh, from his younger days. I mean, he actually still has played uh, almost 400 games in his career at third base, but since 2012, only 12 of them. Uh, so he's going to have to kind of shake off some rust a little bit over at the hot corner. He wasn't really a great defender in the outfield. He's you know, played primarily right field, kind of being hidden over there. Uh, so maybe in a, playing a position where he doesn't need to have as much range uh, could be good for him. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see whether his reflexes can hold up, uh, you know, being a 37-year-old. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I... yeah, I mean, you know, Bautista's uh, struggled in his career lately. Uh, so, you know, especially offensively, uh, he did have an OPS plus of 118 in 2016. Um, but last year just really fell off the table. Um, you know, he still had the home runs, actually hit more homers in 2017 than he did in 2016. Um, but, you know, personally, I, I don't know how well he's going to be able to hold up. You know, age can be such a such a big obstacle for somebody at the end of their career in terms of replicating their production. You know, you don't have guys like David Ortiz every year who can just, you know, defy father time and uh, put together MVP season after MVP season. Um, but, you know, he's only four years removed uh, from a silver slugger, three years removed from finishing eighth in American League MVP voting. So, you know, still has had a, a respectable career, um, has led the league in home runs twice um, in 2011, had uh, the highest OPS in the league, which, um, you know, if he you know hadn't been uh, facing against Justin Verlander in that MVP race, he might have actually won, won it all. You know, the only thing that really hurt him was that his batting average was only 300. Um, but also Verlander was just absolutely filthy that season. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, if, if it's a low risk signing for the Braves, you know, if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. They might not even call him up if, you know, it doesn't work out in the minor leagues. But, um, you know, as far as, as, as my faith in Bautista goes, can't say I have a lot of it. That's more of you're going to have to prove me wrong uh, before I start, you know, believing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, you know. There, there was a reason they signed him to a minor league deal, and, you know, it took him this long to find a deal. He's getting up there in age. He's one of those guys that, you know, I, you know, his whole career I've been kind of suspicious about him because, you know, he didn't really hit his prime until late in his career. I think he was, what, 31, 32 years old until he broke out uh, broke out onto the scene. And, you know, that's weird uh, to see out of a, you know, major league baseball player, especially a guy with power. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know if he'll even help the Braves. Um, we'll see how he does. I mean, the last couple of seasons, you know, that batting average has been extremely low. I mean, he still hit for some power, but he wasn't the Jose Bautista, you know, in his prime. So, you know, I think this is a trickle-down trickle effect um, from, you know, how Major League Baseball, you know, free agency went this offseason. A lot of guys aren't getting the deals they wanted. I would have expected Jose Bautista to get at least a one- or two-year deal. That wasn't just a minor league deal, but, you know, that's what it comes to. He got pretty desperate at this point, and he took the deal that's right. And finally, talking Dodgers, Rich Hill has had a lot of problems with his fingers uh, over the course of his career, but this time it's a broken fingernail that has placed him on the DL uh, and is going to cause him to at least miss at least one start. He says that he should only miss one turn in the rotation, which is a reason I love this 10-day DL as opposed to the 15 because, you know, if you need a week off, 
you know, you're getting about a week off. You don't need to take the two weeks like it used to be required. Um, but in his place on Monday, we're not sure who is going to be starting yet, but this could be our chance uh, to see Walker Bueller, uh, the Dodgers' top pitching prospect, a right-hander uh, aged 23 years old, uh, originally went to Vanderbilt, um, but decided uh, to join the uh, majors after being drafted in the first round of the 2015 draft. Uh, we have, you know, last year we did get eight appearances out of him, all relief appearances though, um, but he didn't do well, finished with a 7.71 ERA, his FIP was almost a six, uh, walk plus hits per innings pitched above two, not a great uh, look for him, however, um, has since gone back to the minors, um, and so far this year at AAA Oklahoma City, he has a 2.08 ERA uh, in three starts, with, uh, you know, having given up only without giving up a single home run. His whip is 1.077, so a uh, good appearance for him. You know, he's a guy who is considered to have two plus pitches, a fastball-curveball uh, combination, but he has a good slider that needs a little bit of work, but, you know, could still uh, be a valuable weapon down the line. And then a changeup, uh, which also uh, he doesn't use very much, but uh, could be a great fourth pitch uh, if he can harness it. Now, um, we've seen a lot of up-and-down play by the Dodgers. You know, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. Maybe Walker Bueller can come in and provide that boost for them. Kevin, you know, what are your thoughts here on the Dodgers and, and having to basically go next man up? Because they only have four starters on their uh, 25-man roster right now. You know, they might have to go down and get them. Uh, have they called them up officially? No, they called up a reliever in the meantime. But In the meantime, so, so rumors are you know, surrounding it a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at the end of the day, uh, the Dodgers, you know, they're in, they're in trouble right now. Um, the problem is... You know, they're without Justin Turner in the lineup, and you know they really don't. Uh, yeah, Tom Robertson's here. It's just walked in through the door. Our oh. NHL editor, mid show. We're talking Dodgers. And actually, we're on our last baseball topic, just in time for some NHL. So oh, you're, it's made some good timing. We did promise Tom would make his way onto the show, and look, look, he's here. He actually, Tom, good to have you. He surprised everyone here because we we did not expect him <laughs> to make an appearance. <laughs> well. Here we are, baby. But but final final uh, note on the Dodgers here. You're, you're right. They are in trouble. Um, you know, being at the almost the bottom of the uh, the NL West right now is, is not a great start for them, obviously. But you know, they they haven't had exactly you know a tough schedule. Um, you know, they have played the Giants uh, multiple times. They've played the A's. Have had to play the Diamondbacks. Um, but the Diamondbacks have absolutely destroyed them, uh, taking five of six. Uh, between two series so um, after feasting against the Padres they have now a series against the Nationals which is going to culminate with a Max Scherzer versus Clayton Kershaw matchup at the end which I'm personally so excited for uh, so we'll have to see how they fare uh, against the Nats a team that's also kind of been up and down but did just take two of three from the Mets uh, in their midweek series here so uh, look, looking forward to see what the Dodgers do and if Walker Bueller gets called up because I mean he's got some filthy stuff and is one of the better uh, pitching prospects and all the minors right now. And personally, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what he can do for LA. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always exciting to see these prospects come up. I mean, you're seeing with Scott Kingery right now, who going to win rookie of the year. In the <laughs> um, he's kind of nice. I mean, eight, he already has eight doubles. I mean, he's, he's been killing it for the Phillies. Um, but you know, it, it's always exciting. And I, it, it's weird how the Dodgers have done this. Um, you know, the Dodgers and the Cubs are two teams that have been able to sign these guys to big deals. Uh, you know, really go after guys in free agency, but also build up a good farm system. Uh, and, you know, props to their, you know, front office for, you know, what they've been able to do. 
uh, because in situations like this where you know players get hurt and you know they need to plug someone in, they can always bring up these you know great prospects. Um, you know, I think Bueller uh, can be that type of guy. Right now, though, you gotta um, you gotta give some credit to Christian Villanueva of the Padres, uh, leading all NL rookies in OPS, a one point two three zero OPS. Uh, played two just as many games as Kingery, um, but has more runs scored, more hits, um, less doubles, but six home runs. That's the big story here. Not a lot of people talking about Villanueva, a right-handed uh, corner infielder, plays both first and third um, for the Padres, but. Uh, you know, played 12 games last year, hit 344, has played 16 so far, played, hitting 340 right now. So um, Kevin is uh, acting as if King Gree has walked away with the uh, NL Rookie of the Year race, but I definitely think it's very far from being determined right now. I don't know. See, here's the thing. Here's here's my thing with the Phillies and Scott King Gree. It's got to be real if, quick. All right. It'll be really quick. If they make a wild card spot, he wins Rookie of the Year. But see, I feel like Rookie of the Year and Cy Young, they don't take that into account as much. It's man yes, but, Manager of the but, Year and MVP, but, yes. But, but put it this way, right? You're not going to give Rookie of the Year to a guy who plays on a last-place team. Like, let's say Rookie of the Year emerges, a great player emerges on the Reds, right? A great That's happened person. multiple no, times. No, 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 listen, listen, listen. But what if Scott Kingery ends up being the three-hitter on a wild-card team? That says a lot more about his talent than some guy hitting fourth, third or fourth on the Reds who are in last place. When you're contributing to a playoff type team, I think it says more. Uh, but, you know, I don't. I don't think the writers take that into account, but I think they should. Maybe they should. I mean, you know Michael I mean? Fulmer. It, it, does, it does say a lot more. Michael Fulmer more. won in 2016 when the Tigers finished with only 86 wins. Only 86. Yeah, didn't make the playoffs. That's still good. It's decent. It's decent. Contention. That's what they White Sox play. only won 71 games 2014 when Jose Abreu won. Uh, yeah, so pick two players out of the last five years. Yeah, well, I mean, like, okay, let's look at the <laughs> Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger usually, were obviously going to be winning exactly. Rookie of the Year. Didn't matter what team they were on. It didn't matter what team they were on. They were going to win. Corey Seager, same way. It says more when you're contributing to a you know a great team. You said this only had to take two seconds. I put my thoughts out there. All right, Go for all it. right. Anyway, we got Tom Robertson here. We're talking hockey. We got a few things, and Tom was making this assertion to us yesterday. Golden Knights swept the Kings in the first round. Are they the biggest story in sports right now? The Golden Knights are are the biggest story in sports right now. No doubt about it. They've been the biggest story in sports for the past for, for months now. I mean, you talk about this team is rewriting the record books in every facet. In the regular season, they are the first team in the modern era in NHL, NBA, NFL, or MLB to win its division in its inaugural season. Something that's never, it hasn't been done in any of the major sports in a long, long time. And what they've been doing is, is just unprecedented. They've become the first expansion team, the first team to sweep a postseason series in their inaugural season in the NHL. Uh, and they, they make a team that has more experience than pretty much any other NHL team in the postseason, they make them look like kids out there. They absolutely embarrassed them in this in this, in this this series, uh, out-grinded them. They out-Los Angeles King, the Los Angeles Kings. Played incredible defense. Uh, their forwards got back. Uh, they looked like – this is something that's been said about the Kings all season, is that they, have, they don't have a first, second, third, fourth line. They have four second lines. I would say that's true in the skill that they have across the board. But they also, in a way, have four fourth lines. And in the NHL, 
A fourth line is a group of three guys that's going to go out there and grind out minutes. Won't necessarily have the most skill on that bottom line, but it's going to have guys that can lay the body and that can skate hard and that are going to win face-offs and they're going to play defense. They're going to play both sides of the ice. All four lines on this team do that, and they also have elite skill. So they're built for the postseason right now. Uh, we're going to see them uh, move on. I think when I first came on the show, or when I came on the show uh, last week, I believe I told you guys we were going to see the Golden Knights in the West in the Stanley Cup Final, and I stand by that 100%. They're now the co-favorites according to Vegas odds. This team is unbelievable. They're built to win in the postseason. Uh, and they're going to face the San Jose Sharks, who also swept in the first round. And that is going to be a fun, fun series. But fun fact, San Jose leads the series against the Golden Knights 3 to nothing. Swept them in the regular season. So it'll be fun to see how that plays out. Uh, really looking forward to that series after a, a couple sweeps. Leads to an exciting second-round matchup in the West. So who is the better goalie, Martin Jones or Marc-Andre Fleury? I got... It's hard for me to say because I think Martin Jones is very slept on. He does not get his due credit as one of the elite goalies. Only four goals allowed all series. No doubt about it. He is up there with the NHL's elite. But I have to go with Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, His postseason experience uh, outweighs that of Jones. Uh, It's a little more acrobatic. uh, and he, He can make those huge saves when you really need him to, and he's proven that. Uh, And you combine the skill with... The quickness that he has, I mean, he's one of the older goaltenders out there, but has still so quick and spry, covers a lot of ground, smart goaltender with his positioning, uh, and his glove, his lights out, it's just as good as it's ever been. So i got to go with Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, even though Martin Jones, I think, is probably the most slept-on goaltender in the league. So in this Sharks-Golden Knights matchup, you're obviously picking the Knights to move on. Is is the goalie matchup the biggest one to watch here, or is there something else that you know is going to be a defining factor for the Golden Knights in the uh, series? I think what you saw in both of these series in the Western Conference uh, is defense was the key for both of these teams. Mm-hmm. And you look at these blue line units, I mean, you got Brett, that, that unit for the San Jose, Brent Burns, uh, leads that group, and they've been great all season. That's kind of what they're known for. I was really uh, lowering the amount of goals that any team can get. They, they don't let a whole lot of pucks through, uh, and they make Martin Jones look really good, even though he's so skilled in himself. Uh, they really uh, limit <coughs> the high-quality chances that you're able to get on him. Uh, so I think that's going to be key for San Jose. For Vegas, it's the same thing, just in a different way. They have a, a great defensive unit as well, but the reason that they're able to be so tough, so physical, and, and not allow teams to get a whole lot of, uh, of goals on the board, it really more comes from their forwards and the fact that I talked about earlier that they have four lines that are all willing to skate back and back check uh, and really be uh, a pesky team and a pesky group of forwards, even guys like William Carlson who leads this group uh, in goals is somebody that is going to be pestering you on a fast break. He's going to skate back uh, and get that back check in and not let you get anything easy. Uh, and that's the key for the Golden Knights. They have to control this forward group for San Jose. Not the most dangerous group of forwards, but with the addition of Evander Kane uh, later on in the season, they did get a lot more dangerous, and he's been producing for them uh, in the regular season and continuing that trend in the postseason. they got to key in on Evander Kane. And they can't give anything easy to these San Jose Sharks. I think that's the key for this Golden Knights team. 
Now, over in uh, the Eastern Conference, we have the Caps uh, taking Game 3 in double overtime from the Blue Jackets. Uh, after not, you know, obviously two overtime losses are close losses for them, um, but they are having a problem with blowing early leads. Uh, do you see them uh, coming back from this early deficit, uh, being down 2-0 to come back and win this series? Do they have a shot here? Uh, they have a shot. They have a shot. I don't want to make any set-in-stone predictions right now just because that's how I am. I don't want to – can't jinx anything right now. Uh, if, if you don't already know, a big-time Caps fan over here, so – can't do it, can't really make a call, but they have to learn how to put their foot on the gas uh, and put their foot on the opponent's throats and, and finish them off. They have to finish teams off. All great teams do it. Caps have not proven they can do that. When they get a lead, they just become a shell of themselves. Uh, and They start allowing their opponent to dictate the game. Uh, once they start getting loose pucks in the defensive zone, rather than moving those outlet passes up forward, getting some transition into the offensive zone. They just start chipping it out weekly and tamely. They just start they're, – they're prepared to play defense. They get the puck. They could move out uh, and start an odd man rush. Instead, they just flip it over the blue line uh, and get back into defensive position. You can't do that with a lead. You have to continue to take risks uh, and try to move the puck forward and get another goal. That third goal, getting that three-goal lead is crucial. Uh, Two-goal lead, worst lead, worst lead in hockey, worst lead uh, in soccer. That's kind of a saying, even though obviously you'd like to have a two-goal lead. Uh, but it's a saying, and that holds true with the Caps as they've blown uh, not only a two-goal lead in, the, in game one, but a 2 nothing and a 3-1 to one lead in game two. Uh, almost had a two-goal lead in, in game three, but that, uh, that goal from Brett Connolly gets uh, overturned on the offsides, which some people were complaining about, but that's just kind of a – Kind of a bonehead move by Brett Connolly skating over the blue line before he actually touched the puck. People would say he had possession before he actually touched it, uh, but I don't really agree with that argument. I think it was a good call by the refs to overturn that goal. Uh, but those are the kind of plays that have hurt them, not being smart, taking too many penalties as well, discipline. They have to focus on discipline as well. Can't let Artemi Panarin operate on the power play. Every time he touches the puck, I mean, Artemi Panarin has been unbelievable in the playoffs, and they have to key in on him as well, especially. And the thing you have to like for the Caps here is that, you know, they've actually led for almost as many minutes as the Blue Jackets have the entire series, despite being down by a game, uh, and have experience playing in a lot of overtime playoff games, you know, brings to mind the Maple Leaf series last year, which they played five overtime games. Um, you know, Washington was down 2-1, having to come back. Uh, you know, this is very similar. Um, you know, maybe the game's played out a little bit differently, but we're seeing a a lot of close ones and ones that, you know, you probably think the Capitals are a bit of a better team, but, and that's what the numbers kind of suggest, you know, in game two, they outshot um, the the Blue Jackets uh, significantly, yet still. 58 shots on goal for the Caps. I mean, the of. fact that they couldn't, you know, come away with a win in that game is absolutely insane. You know, Blue Jackets got to give a lot of credit to that defense, um, you know, being able to at least force bad shots, because it definitely seemed like there were more than a few shots that were kind of flung in there. Uh, that probably could have been, you know, weighted and had a better play. Um, but, you know, with Barry Trotz having the experience of, of playing, managing through these overtime games, uh, there definitely seems like there's, you know, some positive vibes uh, coming out of that Capitals uh, locker room right now because, uh, you know, they, they've been here before, even though they didn't win in that next round against the Penguins, obviously. They've, they've done this first round thing before, and I think, you know, they definitely stand a chance here because um, they seem to be at least on par if not a better team, uh, as what the deeper numbers suggest. Absolutely, and uh, that sentiment was echoed in the Caps locker room after Game 3. Uh, there were 
very happy, ecstatic. Uh, Tariq Al-Bashir, a uh, reporter for NBC Sports Network, termed it as giddy in the Capitals locker room. Uh, they were very happy, and they, they, they the thought was that all of the hard work that they put in in games one and two paid off in game three. They thought that uh, they played better than the results showed in those first two games, uh, and so they still feel confident about the way they've played. As they should, uh, you talk about 58 shots in Game 2. Sergei Bobrovsky has been a stone wall for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Game 1 was a little more shaky. Uh, since then, ha- has gotten his play together. Game twos and 2 and 3 played absolutely lights out. Um, and has had struggles in the postseason in the past, but he's starting to look like that Vesna Trophy uh, goal t- winner, winning goaltender these past couple of games, which is very scary for the Washington Capitals. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net. Check out our Facebook at Pure Sports Network and go to our website at puresportsnetwork.com. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell and Tom Robertson signing off. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Watch the NBA playoffs tonight. The Sixers are going to get back on track, get that game three dub. Uh, it's going to happen. You know, I'm pulling for the, for the Caps as well. I know Tom uh, will be irritated in the Breeze office if we don't. If, they, if the Caps don't get that dub. So uh, let's come back, win that series, um, both the Sixers and Caps, and uh, you know, end the episode with uh, Screw the Nationals. Uh, Tom Robertson here. <laughs> go Caps, go, baby. Uh, game four tonight. It, it's going to be a grinder in Columbus, Nationwide Arena. Always uh, an absolute hostile play to play. They're going to be loud in Columbus. Hopefully the Caps can pull, pull through, baby. Go Caps. I'm going with two goals tonight. Nats got a big series against the Dodgers this weekend. Wizards are down 2 nothing. Probably not going to win, so I'm not really, you know, honestly emotionally invested in the series because I didn't come into it expecting them to win anyway. Um, but hoping for the Nats to at least take 2 or 3 from the Dodgers, a team that has been reeling. They need to take advantage uh, if they're going to climb back into this NL East race anytime soon. So go Nats. Screw the Phillies. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.